We had a great morning here. It was um, uplifting and enjoyable and uh, in, in many ways. And then we left here, and I went home and uh, got Susan and the boys and Maddie, and we uh, we headed downtown to the circus. And we went to the circus. I say not just any circus. We went to the circus, the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, greatest show on earth circus. So after it was over, we were debriefing as we do and talking. Okay, what was your favorite part? What did you like? And all of that. And unanimous in our house, the favorite part was uh, this interesting, um, this interesting thing they do now with motorcycles. Have you y'all seen that? You've been to the circus where they get the this uh, cage that's a sphere and they they ride. Yesterday they got up to seven motorcycles in that sphere cage all going around together. And it looks like at any moment they're going to crash into each other. And then they turn the lights out, and the guys are wearing glow-in-the-dark suits. And it is it's cool. So we talked about that. And then there was another part of the motorcycle where, you know, they had the tightrope wire coming. It was right in front of us going uphill. And a guy got on a motorcycle, and he went halfway up, and then he came back down. Oh, And there was a woman hanging from underneath. So there's a motorcycle on top, woman hanging from underneath, go halfway up, come halfway down, halfway up, halfway down. Then they can see, you know, they're going to make the big run, and they start to flop, and they flip and spin. Um, somebody that was at the circus who remained nameless said that they had ducked their head from it and looked up and thought the woman and the guy were about to fall off. They thought there was a mistake there. It was exciting. And then the trapeze, you know the trapeze, they fly through the air, they catch. I still, and it's just amazing to me, they do the triple somersault, catch the guy, you know, throw him back, and they time it all perfectly, and the tightrope walkers, and all of that. You know what's interesting is, as I got to thinking about it, perhaps the least entertaining part of the whole circus were the tigers. You know, they do the tiger thing. They bring the tigers out. They put them in the cage. The guy's out there, he's cracking the whip, and the tigers are getting up on the platforms, and they're going, and they're making the moves, and they're jumping over one another, and they're laying on one another, doing all that stuff. You know what our boys were doing during the tiger part? They were laying their heads in our laps. Oh, great, there's the boring part, the tigers. I got to thinking, how different would it have been if there had been no cage? Right? What if the tigers were loose? You think that had been the boring part? It wouldn't have been for me, right? I'd have been calculating, all right, that's when you don't want good seats. All right, we're 15 rows up. That's approximately 200 people they have to eat before they get to us, right? I mean, it would be a little more exciting if the tigers were out of the cage. In fact, the news would probably get on it. It would be different. It would be more uh, involved if the tigers were out of the cage. And it reminded me of a story by a guy named Mark Batterson tells um, where he went to the Galapagos Islands. And he goes to the Galapagos Islands and he sees all of these animals in their natural habitat and they're wild and they're free and they're uh, untamed. And he, he swam with the rays and he sees all these fish and it's this amazing thing. And then a couple of weeks later, he went to the zoo where he lives in Washington, D.C. and he saw all the same animals, but it wasn't the same experience. He said caging the animals changed the experience now i got to thinking about my own going to the zoo i got i've gotten real close to some very dangerous animals right i mean 
We've been to the primate house and been, you know, glass to glass with the gorilla. I've been to, um, I've been in the in the in the uh, the cage where they have, or not the cage, the area where they have the lions and the tigers and the panthers and all of that. And you can walk right up and you can see them right over there, and they they roar, and you're like, oh, that's good, get them to roar, get them to roar. I mean, how different would it be if you were out on the African Sahara and you're Hey, get them to roar. That'd be cool. All right, is that what you want them to do? No. And so Mark Batterson says that what he is afraid has happened in the church, a book that he called Wild Goose Chase, what he's afraid has happened in the church is this, that we have become tamed or caged, that we are like the animals at the zoo when God intends for us to be the animals that are without the limitation. And he identifies in this book, which I'm going to be preaching over the next six weeks, out of principles that come out of this book. And if you want extra credit, you can read the book. Or some of you have already read it. If you went to Brazil last year, we read it. But uh, we've got some in the office. If you'd be interested in getting one, we can get it to you for cheaper than you get it at the store. If not, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Kindle. You can find it on all that stuff. But in this book, he lists six cages that we find ourselves in that prevent us from passionately pursuing the adventure that God has for us. He identifies six of them. Responsibility, routine, assumptions, guilt, failure, and fear. Now today, we're going to talk about responsibility and how that can cage us in. But the point of all of this is this. That God intends for us to live a life of passionate pursuit and adventure. And most of us have settled for a caged existence. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9 or your iPhones or your iPads or your iPods or phones in general, right? Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, we're going to read where Jesus encounters three people that wanted to follow Jesus, but their responsibilities got in the way. Their stuff got in the way. And so in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds like exactly what Jesus wants to hear. Wherever you go, Jesus I'll follow. Whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I'll follow. Whatever it means, Jesus, I'll follow. I'll follow you, Jesus, no matter what. And Jesus replies, strangely, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I want to talk today about how our responsibilities can become excuses for us living the life God has called us to live. And we all have responsibilities. You tell me, what are some responsibilities that we have? Things that you have to do. Children, work, school, shower. We appreciate that one, yes. Anything else? Take care of your house. 
Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your friends. Be involved in activities. Be involved in social clubs. Depending on what you're involved in, they bring other responsibilities. Depending on what school system you go to or are a part of or have kids in, they bring responsibilities. Depending on how church is, it can bring responsibilities. Responsibilities can add up pretty quickly. And we're here today not to say responsibilities are bad, but here is the overriding theme of the entire message today, and it is simply this. Our greatest responsibility is following Jesus. Our greatest responsibility is following Jesus. No matter what else we do in our lives, the number one responsibility we have in life is to follow Jesus. Now, he tells these three guys that. They come with their excuses or their sometimes or their maybes or their whenevers. And Jesus wants them to understand they are committing their lives to something that is all-encompassing, that takes everything of what we have. Somebody has recently written that discipleship means we give up any thought that there will be bits and pieces of our lives that can remain unaffected by our relationship with Jesus. We no longer have the choice to serve where we want and the way we want, still be home in bed by 10. We no longer have the luxury of deciding our future based upon a 401k and dental plan. It's about following Him. That's our responsibility. And so these three guys come, and I want to show you three things that responsible for following Jesus is more important than. The first is this, that following Jesus can be expensive. It can cost you. This guy says, I will follow you wherever, and Jesus knows what his heart means. And so the guy's not really saying, I'll follow you whenever. He's saying, I want the benefits of following you, Jesus. Where do I sign up? And Jesus says, I don't even have stuff. Think about this. Where in the Bible do you ever see Jesus' house? After he got out from Mary and Joseph, because there is that early in his place where people come, the wise men come to his house. Does it ever say people went to his house? That he had a party at his house? That he had friends over to watch the ball game at his house? Right, they wouldn't have been watching the ball game, but no. Why? Because... Here's an idea. Jesus didn't have a house. Jesus didn't have one. You think about how crazy that is. Now, we think, well, he would have a house if he were here today. I mean, everybody's got to have a house. Jesus would have a house. Well, you think people didn't have houses back then? This is not a new phenomenon. This is not something that people just now discovered. Hey, we got to have a place to live. Jesus says, I have a place to live. So he looks at this guy and he says, basically, following me is going to cost you more than you have realized to this point. In another place, he would tell people to stop and count the cost before they build so that you don't get halfway into building and then go, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have any money. In other places, he says that we are to, to follow him. We have to pick up our cross daily and follow him. The point there is that following Jesus can be expensive. It is an all or nothing kind of proposition. It's not a yes, but kind of proposition in fact a couple of these guys say yes lord i'll follow you but let me go do this and so we have to understand that it will cost us to follow him are you saying it'll cost us money yeah 
Do you mean it'll cost us time? Absolutely. Will it cost us uh, parts of our lives? Yes. Could it even cost our life? Yes. It will cost to follow Jesus. And what we have to understand is, secondly, that following Jesus is more important than material responsibilities. There's no promise in Scripture of us having a bunch of stuff. There's no promise in Scripture of us having a lot of money. There's no promise in Scripture of us being successful in the world's eyes. In fact, there are multiple examples in Scripture of people that would be considered failures in the eyes of our world, including a guy named Jesus. No promise of comfort. There's no promise of money. There's no promise of a nice home. There's no promise of a good car. There's no promise of a good job. There's none of that. What he promises is it will radically change your life to follow me and you may have to give up some of that stuff to follow me completely. Now, does that mean all of us need to be homeless? No, I hope not. Right? I I have a house. I don't own a house. I get to live in a house. I don't own a house because the bank owns the house, right? If I don't pay the bank, they come take the house, all right? And so I don't own a house. I have a house. I'm in a house. I live in a house. And so I'm not saying that we got to give up our houses, but I do think that following Jesus, we have to ask ourselves the question, have we so focused on material responsibilities and making money and having a good job and getting a good house and providing for our families and making sure we've got what we need that we have allowed ourselves to focus so much on that that we forget that our primary responsibility is to follow Jesus wherever he leads. The number of people in our generations that are so far in debt that they have to work overtime. That are so messed up financially that they've gotten as much as they can and they don't know how they're going to pay for it. But they are strapped and their lives revolve around how they're going to get more cash. I, uh, it's an interesting thing uh, that came out of the, the fantasy football season just ended on uh, ESPN.com. Some of you play fantasy football, some of you don't. But on ESPN, they had some kind of contest, and the guy who won the contest was homeless. And he received a $3,500 gift card for a home theater system to Best Buy. And my thought was, well, what good does that do him, Right? It does the same amount of good to the person that's got the big house, but their soul is going to hell. Or their children and their families are disregarded because they focus so much on material stuff. It's not just material responsibilities. He tells this guy, listen, I don't even have a place to stay. It's also cultural responsibilities. Following Jesus is more important than cultural responsibilities. This guy comes up and he says, Jesus says to him, follow me, that... There aren't many places in Scripture where Jesus says, follow me. He says it to apostles directly when they're asked to follow. And here he says it to him. He talks to the rich young ruler who rejects it. But he says to him, follow me. And the man says, Lord, let me go bury my dad. Let me ask you a question real quickly. How many of you does that statement make you a little uncomfortable? Yeah, it does. It goes completely against what we think is okay when he says, Lord, I just want to obey my dad. And Jesus says, nope. And if you read it, it can almost sound like he's dead. Let the dead take care of the dead. You come follow me. A couple of things to, to kind of think about in this, and it really doesn't take away the sting of what he says or the point of what he says, but in their day and time, uh, burying your, your dad or burying a member of your family was 
of the biggest responsibility you could have. It was the number one. In fact, you couldn't get out of church for more, much stuff. It wasn't like today where you come to church if you want to come to church, and then you don't come to church if you don't want to come to church. And, you know, one week, uh, one week you decide, hey, this week, I don't, I don't know. It, I know we've moved into the Arctic North, and it snowed a little bit, so we're not going to go to church this week, and that's okay. We'll sleep in, or the ball games are on early, or whatever. You don't do that back then. The only way you got out of church back then were there were very few things, one of which was if you needed to bury someone in your family. The only way you got out of holy days was if you needed to bury someone in your family. What you have to understand, though, is back then when someone died, you buried them immediately within 24 hours. And so you have this cultural responsibility. Now, what that also tells us is if you're supposed to bury someone within 24 hours, this guy's father is probably not dead yet. Does that make sense? He's probably saying my dad's sick or I'm going to wait till my dad dies and then when my dad dies I will have fulfilled my cultural responsibility and then I'll come and follow you, Jesus. The point of this is he's basically saying I will but first. Jesus, I will follow you but first let me do this. It's the classic stage of Lord, when when I get out of high school and I get to college, I mean, I'll really serve you then. No, when, Lord, when I get out of college and I, I get my first job, that's when I will really serve you. Lord, when I, when I finally get married, I, I'll really serve you. Lord, when, when I have kids, that's when I'm really going to serve you and we're going to take them to church all the time. Lord, when these kids just get out of the house, I will serve you. Lord, when I retire, I'll have all that time to serve you. It's the classic postponement. But it's not just the postponement of time here. It's also the postponement of cultural responsibilities. We live in a culture that constantly tells us how to act, feel, think, what to watch, what to wear, what to listen to. We live in a culture that's constantly reminding us of what's good and not. Now, when we talk to teenagers, we talk about peer pressure. But we somehow magically assume that peer pressure ends when you turn 18. Which is not true at all. So people pressure us to be a part of the PTO, and once we get to be part of the PTO, we've got to go to these meetings. And once we get to these meetings, we've got to go to this thing. Or, or people pressure us to put our kids in ball, and then we find out, oh, by the way, ball, they, they practice on Wednesdays, and you're going to be gone every other weekend. And, oh, but that's just part of it. You've got to do that. If, you're gonna, your kids are gonna, if your kids are going to make the major leagues, you've got to be part of ball. If your kids are going to have a healthy lifestyle, they've got to be part of ball. You, know, you, you just start to pile up responsibilities. Well, you got school and school. Well, at school, they've got to do this. And you've got homework on the weekends. And Wednesday nights is when we have the most homework. And we can't come to church on Wednesday night because of the homework on Wednesday night. We can't do this. And gradually, things start to pile up. Well, at work, we expect that. I know it says that you work 40 hours a week, but you're really expected about 55 to 60. And that needs to be happening on these days. And, well, we have overtime policy, but we just kind of, you know, kind of put that off to the side. And you've got to do what you've got to do to get the job done. Gradually, responsibilities and cultural expectations come in on us. And Jesus says, all that's fine and good if the first important responsibility you have is following me. Here's the last one. Following Jesus is more time than time responsibility. 
This guy says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye. That sounds great, but that is another delay tactic, another stall tactic. Uh, not now, uh, maybe later. Of uh, I'll follow you if, or I'll follow you when. This, this is him saying that I've got some time later. Let me go do this first. I mean, think about the absurdity of this statement. I will follow you, Lord. Lord, which means Master, Almighty, those who I have put myself under, but first let me go back. And so he says, some other time, Lord, some other way, but first I've got some affairs to take care of, some things to take care of. Let me go do that. And Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom. I asked this in the first service, and I told him I'd ask in the second. How many of you have ever put your hand to a plow? I mean, like for serious work here. Not like at one of those museum things where you're, you know. A couple of you, there were lots in the first service. This is what I've heard. I've never done it, never been a part of it. But I've heard that if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, what happens? You get off course, right? And one of the goals of plowing is to plow straight. And the point is, if you're trying to look back, you're trying to look around instead of looking straight, then you're distracted and you're going to mess up. Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, it is like you're putting your hand to the plow and you're going forward. Here's the point of all of that. To the guy who wants to come and Jesus says, I don't even have a home. To the guy that wants to go bury his dad and Jesus says, listen, you let the dead bury the dead. You come, now is your time. And even to the one who says, let me go back first. Here's the whole point. Our greatest responsibility is following Jesus. And here's what I'm going to guess. If you are serious about following Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then it's going to mean giving up, changing, doing something differently. And some people are going to think you're nuts. Some people are going to think you're crazy. Some people are going to think that you shouldn't even be considering those kind of things. The question is not what other people think. It's what does the Lord call you to do. Some of you in this room right now, God's calling you to give up something. If you've used the U version or you've looked at it, the phone app, at the bottom is a pole. Just sometime I'd ask you to do that. Be honest with the Lord and say, what responsibility in my life prevents me most from following the Lord? What There's not. You may have one that's not on there. But out of those. And then I would ask you to begin to pray that God would show you how to move past that. 